Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Verse 28 has been our verse of the year for 2011. I hope that uh, you have made use of that. I've had a number of people talk to me about what it has meant to them at particular times and in general. And so I've, I hope that you will, if you haven't yet, memorize it, get the card. There are still some cards around with it where you can put it in front of you and uh, think on these things. Today we're going to focus on it as we approach this table before us. And so we pick up with uh, verse 28 of Romans 8. Remember that this is God's Word. He says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. What lofty words, O Lord, you have given to us to memorize, to hide in our hearts, to meditate upon, to be applied to our life at, at times when we need them the most. How grateful we are. Will you, in these moments, as we move toward your table, remind us of these truths that are so precious for your children? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is actually our verse of the year. I want us to think for a moment also about the verse that follows. Verse 29. I want to give you a paraphrase. Those that God the Father knew in a saving way before they were ever born. He also had a plan that he would carry out in their lives. That plan was for them to become more and more like Jesus, so that Jesus would be the preeminent one among many others in whom he was working. I want God's plan for my life. Yes or no, in your mind. I really want God's plan for my life. We start by answering that. Now, I got to tell you, 
God is going to work out His plan anyway. But ask yourself, do I really want that? Because here's the thing. If I really want His plan for my life, it says we are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And so we've got to ask ourselves, okay, so what... What's he going to do in order to reveal and to carry out that plan in my life? And am I, by faith, going to accept that as well? I want his plan for my life. I want to yield myself to that. Are you willing to, by faith, look at everything that happens in your life as a part of him fulfilling your desire for His plan to be worked out in your life. How does He do that? The answer is in verse 28. It says, in all things God works. In all things God works. What are the all things? Because that's where the catch comes. It gets a little harder. You know, at first it's easy. Yeah, of course I want his plan. Oh, wait a minute. You mean I got to go through that in order for his plan to be worked? In order to be more like Jesus, I got to go through this? And here's what we'll look at a few of the all things. But let's just look at the one that immediately jumps out at us. One aspect. It's either something you're already thinking about or at some point it will rear up and it will punch you in the stomach and that is suffering. That's part of the all things. Over in 1 Peter, a different perspective Another perspective to throw light on this perspective. In 1 Peter 1, verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He ties trials to God working His plan out in your life. And he says, that's what you're going through right now in the same book, 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Now look, if you're just hearing those and you didn't, weren't able to follow along, here's the thing we've got to pull away from that, and that is this. That there are no trials without purpose. That when we are going through a trial, whether we are in the middle of it, 
or whether we are on the tail end of it, there is, when we are God's people, a purpose. And the purpose is to make us more like Jesus. There's a danger for us to think that God allowing us to suffer is him just saying, well, I'm through with you. Or that that it's some sense of abandonment or punishment. Some look at trials and difficulties they go through as, what did I do wrong to deserve this? I hear that verbalized. What did he do wrong? He's a good guy. She's a good woman. Why are they going through that? And when we ask that, we're missing the point of what the Scripture says to us from all different angles. That it's not about that. It's about, according to Romans 8, making us more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Do you get it? If he's, if he's right in that, and I, I think he is, I think that's a, a, a brilliant biblical statement. That look, when, when things are going good, we're kind of deaf to God. We may be thankful, kind of. But you know, it's, it's in those trials when there will be a response to God. The question is what will your response be? If you think you have been abandoned and that's why you're in the middle of those trials or you're being punished, your response will be a negative one or you will run from him. However, if you believe the scripture that there is purpose in this, though it might be painful, there is purpose and the purpose is that which earlier today I said I want, and that is I want his plan to work out in my life, then you don't have to become bitter when you're in the midst of trials or suffering. Peter Marshall put it this way, life is a series of troughs and peaks. In his efforts, God's efforts, to get permanent possession of a soul, God relies on the troughs more than the peaks. And some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. What else is included in the all things beyond suffering? What is it that God uses to make us his? Well, another broad category would be events big and small, I would say. You have suffering as one major one, but the events in our life he uses as well. 
me give you a couple of examples. Could be a move to another city, a consideration of that. It could be a job change. You see, either one of those can be construed as a good thing or a bad thing. And many times for those, you can't just go through the Bible and find a verse that says do this or do that or go here or go there. In fact, more often than not, that's the case. And so, when we see this, by the way, if you're considering moving to another city, I will save you the trouble. I'll just tell you, it's not God's will for you. He wants you here. (laughs) The other one I can't answer. But you see, those, those are the kinds of things that he uses. And it's, it's not a, we are not often able to define God's will, so we step out by faith. And when we do that, he uses those to mold us to be more like his son. Another one of the all things that he uses is people. since I'm in the people business, I think God uses that one maybe the most on me. And sometimes, and you know this, sometimes that can be painful. God using people in our lives. Now, I'm not just talking about somebody who comes to you and says you need to improve this or that or that kind of thing. Sometimes it can be the trial you go through with people. That's why I am so often saying to others, because I say to myself, everyone and everything in your life is in order to make you more like Jesus. Everything and everyone in your life is in order to make you more like Jesus. Now that can be hard. But if Romans 8 is true, if our verse of the year is true, then it is one of those all things. Now, you may be somewhere in your heart kind of rebelling against these things. Maybe you're unwilling to accept that everything that God does that he is uh, doing in order to make us more like Jesus. We only have a couple of other alternatives if, if you're not going to believe that. If you, if you don't believe that there is, is purpose in suffering. And that is, you have to assume that, well then, maybe God's not in control. That's a whole philosophy. And I'll tell you, when, you know, every time there's a disaster, you look in the paper, there will be editorials from uh, individuals and many times from uh, pastors from various perspectives. And there will always be those that are trying to get God off the hook by saying something like, oh, you know what, this isn't God's fault. Don't blame God. He'll be there for you afterwards, but... But he, he doesn't cause things like this to take place, which is absolutely contrary to the whole of Scripture that says he is the sovereign one. But in his sovereignty, there's purpose and there is goodness. 
And so there will be those trying to protect God. But here's the thing. To me, it is a terrifying thought that rather than it being God, there is some force or fate or bad luck or karma out there that is really in control of this universe. There is no comfort in that. But instead, to see the Scripture and to see, no, it is a loving God who is in control and we may not understand all of this that we are going through right now and yet we do know that according to Romans 8, 28, there is a purpose in it. Another option some people choose is when these difficult times come, God could prevent them, but He either takes pleasure in our suffering for no reason, in other words, He's just mean, or He just doesn't care. See, that's your only other alternative if you don't see as God being the one in control. Instead, here's the other alternative. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And by the way, when it comes to suffering... He gave us the ultimate illustration with the cross. With Jesus suffering on the cross for the greatest purpose in our lives, and that was to redeem us. He used suffering. Why would He not use it in our lives as well? This table tells us that that is true. We remember what he did on the cross. The shedding of blood. The giving of his body. The suffering. This table says there was purpose in that. And that purpose was for us. So that we can partake today and remember and rejoice that We are not the ones that have to redeem ourselves, which we could not do. Now, a lot of you are facing some difficult things right now. We are reminded at every turn of the fact that we live in a fallen world. You contrast. Contrast this. An unbeliever gets a biopsy. They think it's lymphoma. The response, if they are in touch at all, their response will be sheer terror. There's no other logical response without God. For the believer, it does not have to be that way. Someone said every time an unbeliever is diagnosed with a disease, a a believer is diagnosed with the same disease so that the world can see the difference. 
and I have seen it again and again. There is a difference. Not that it's not painful, not that it's not hard to go through those things. It is. But the difference is if we believe there is a purpose and that God is with us. That's a big difference. Our problem is we want to be in control. Control is an illusion, though. One writer talks about waiting before God open-endedly and how radical of an attitude that is to wait open-endedly because we are a society obsessed with being in control. Now, sometimes you're going to be in a situation where you know absolutely you're not in control. And that's hard for most of us to handle. But the reality is we're never in control. It's an illusion when you think you're in control of your world. God is the only sovereign. Thank God for that. So we move toward the table. And this is one of those meals, you know, you get an invitation to a meal, and most people will say, so what can I bring? And some people will say, bring this or that, and other people will say, nothing, just bring yourself. And so our temptation is to want to come to this table and to bring things to it whether it's our own righteousness or our own abilities. But the invitation to this table is, no, you come open-endedly with open hands and open hearts because you're my child. I like to read from Robert Murray McShane's journal He said this, May 10th at the communion. Felt less use for the minister than ever. I thought that was interesting. (laughs) Felt less use for the minister than ever, but here's why. Let the master of the feast alone speak to my heart. (laughs) You see, that's it. it. It was his view that it was not the addresses of the minister in serving the table, but the supper itself, and these are his words, that ought to satiate their soul with fatness. See, you won't be satiated from that little bit of food. It's from the Master. And so let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 11 for perspective on this table. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself then, and so to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So it rules out some people from coming. It's a family table for those who are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. But also you ought not to come if, if there's some sin in, in your life that has, you haven't identified it this way, but it's become an idol because you love it so much that earlier when we confessed our sin, you wouldn't confess it. You would not turn from it because you love it then you're not ready to come to this table. Now, my encouragement is if you're a believer, then even now, go back and deal with that sin. Ask God for a love for Christ more than you love that sin. It's for believers who've publicly professed their faith in Christ, who are dealing with their sin Resting on the mercy of Christ, not for perfect people. If you think you're perfect, you're not qualified to come. And it's even for those who are believers but struggle with doubt. John Calvin said, this is the place for you. This is where questions are answered to be strengthened. Let the master of the feast alone speak to your heart today. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray now that you would open our hearts to you and that you would take these elements and set them apart from their ordinary use. This bread, this fruit of the vine, it could be in our cupboards at home. We're asking you to use it by your spirit as we partake by faith to grow us in you and In this, like you do with suffering and with people and with circumstances, at this table will you make us more like Jesus. We pray in his name.